intellectual experience. Look at that. That shit gets never old. And I'm here, I'm, and I'm here with... <laughs> Am I going to talk now? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Brock Oakland. <laughs> Brock Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and what the fuck did I bring you here? Um, I don't know, really. Uh, I'm a very complex person. Uh, mainly, I'm, I'm a football player, I'm a football coach. Um, I'm very interested in football as well as, for example, uh, I'm also very, very interested in most of sports, but fuck's sake. Uh, mostly it's uh, football and cycling, which is my favorite sports. Um, yeah, very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, cycling is the gay sport. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, I'm very interested in, in social problems and, and politics as well. I believe we're going to talk about sports uh, mostly in this podcast. So, well, yeah, so I'm very interested in sports, especially football and politics. Um, and yeah, I contain a lot of, lot of knowledge uh, uh, and access most of the human population when it comes to containing knowledge. But most of it is very random. So I'm very good at quizzes. But yeah. My, my quizzes is my speciality, <laughs> specialty, but yeah, <laughs> the knowledge that I contain doesn't bring me very far in life. It just makes me impress some people and makes me look like a dumbass to some people. I can't, I contain a lot of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, yeah, yeah. But I brought you here mainly because of football. Yeah. I mean, and for you stupid Americans, that is soccer. <laughs> and we're both coaches. Yeah, right. I'm a better coach than you, though. <laughs> uh, I've only seen you. You haven't seen me, though. Yeah, but I know because oh. I know that I am the best. Oh, so nice. you okay. can't yeah. be better, to, better than me nice. when I'm the best. Nice. But so what I wanted to kind of do, because we're both 18-year-old football coaches with almost like no experience, right? Yeah. I, we're basically fresh out of the uh, National C course. Yeah, I, 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 the, it is it is the national sheet, right? It is um, it's nationally hosted, but it's counted as a, a UEFA C license. Yeah, if, uh, so yeah, you have yeah, four yeah. steps of the UEFA coaching coaching school. Yeah. You have the UEFA C, UEFA B, UEFA A, and, and then you have UEFA Pro. Yeah. So to ha- to be a coach at like a national level, you have to have UEFA B. But most coaches in Norway start at FSC and then B, you know. So yeah, right. So, so so we're at C right now. We we've had C. Yeah. And so then, and then B is the next. Actually. Yeah. This is makes sense. But yeah, B is the next. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so if if, if there's anybody professional listening, just go away. <laughs> you can nothing going to learn here. Well, you can you see it from another perspective, even though maybe you've come through yourself but or, for example or you, you contain so much knowledge as yeah saying. but for example Sundin's dad he had to take up his coaching uh, licenses because he started as a Real Madrid Castilla coach without licenses so before he could be <laughs> the Real, Real Madrid coach he had to take the, those courses because he didn't have licenses enough for being a La Liga coach yeah, but but if if you're uh, if you're uh, if you're previously a professional player, yeah, don't you go straight to B? No, no, no. You have to take all the courses and contain all the licenses. So, 
the problem for Zidane was that he became a coach for Castilla where he didn't need to have any licenses, licenses to coach. But then when he was appointed manager of Real Madrid, like the senior team, yeah. he had to take those courses because you have to, I believe it's UEFA B or UEFA to uh, be a coach at like the highest national leagues in every country. So if you want to be uh, a coach in the Elite 7, the Norwegian League, yeah. you have to have UEFA B, I believe. I, I think it's maybe UEFA you not, know, I think it's UEFA A. Yeah, I'm, A or B. I'm not going to spe- speculate this. I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, to make it, to make it we have the UEFA C one. Yeah. That's right. Same so, as C. so so we're like the bottom bitch. Yeah. In our profession, our profession. But like in Norway, we jump straight to C. In other countries, in countries you have like a national A, B, and C license as well. So I believe in England you have to take in national C B A, and okay. then you get a UEFA C. So I think in Norway you like do a little shortcut where you take all the national ones in the same type of pot, and then when you're done with that, them, you have a UEFA C license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because I mean, just to make it clear, we t- we took uh, what's known as Krasrotranan. Yeah, one through four. Yeah, and One, those. Two, so basically, and that combines to a UFSC license. So if you take the grassroots coach, coach yeah. course, just part one out of four, you technically have just a national C license. Okay. But if you take all four, you have the UFSC license. So you can say that the course, the fourth course is like the UFSC license, and the first three is C, B, and A. So one is C. Uh, Two is B, and one is A. Oh no, three is <laughs> three is A, and then when you go to four, you have like UFC license. Yeah, and that's what we got. Yeah, shit coaches, but we have some yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some qualifications. <laughs> we can rely on our resumes. Yeah, yeah, and we also have the. Uh, wait, is the goalkeeping included in that? You or, can't. Or, you or can't, is that a bonus we got? It, you the goalkeeping is like a mandatory part of it, but you can take the goalkeeping part as an exemption so you can take it outside of the course but then you won't you won't get like the coaching license but you will get the goalkeeping coaching license if you understand oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and you can just take pure goalkeeping courses okay but you will get go- goalkeeping course courses included in like the total package yeah yeah so you become certified in NHL. yeah so you have like a, cert- a certification of being a goalkeeping coach at the UFC le- level but then after that, you have to, if you want to have a, a UEFA B license in goalkeeping coaching, you have to take a known court, like the UEFA B goalkeeping license has its own course. So if you take a UEFA B course to have a coaching license, you don't get the goalkeeping coaching part as you get with UEFA C. You understand? Uh, okay, okay. I think so, I think, so I, like, I think we're focusing on totally the wrong thing here. Okay, is, we have is it warmer? We have the UFA C license. This is C. Okay, to make to make it very clear, and that makes us a bunch of idiots trying to make other people better at football, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, just put it into context and so we can actually focus on what we know instead of just speculating <laughs> like, oh, do you need B, do you need C, do you need A, yeah, do you yeah. need... Okay, so we have the FSC. We actually are coaching a team, mm-hmm. both of us, a couple times a week. And we're just here to talk about football and yeah. kind of like share experiences, learn from one another. And developing youth players. Exactly. 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 So I just want to, um, because, I mean, you have, you, your team is one year older than mine. Yeah, right? I am an under-14s coach. Yeah, right, yeah, right. I, so I we play 11-a-side while you're uh, under-13s, so you I play 9-a-side? So. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I get that's what I believe anyway. <laughs> you know, I just look and I was like, I have no clue what the fuck that is. But like, the FA changes the, the setup every year. So one yeah. year it's the 12 years play seven aside and then the next year 12 years play nine aside. So it just develops. And it, it's crazy because sometimes, or like when I was young, uh, there was never like uh, under 15s league. It was under 14s, not under 16s. Oh yeah. And then yeah. suddenly it came under 15s. And this year it was supposed to add the under 17s, but they dropped it. So they're planning on like bringing under 17. Some so before it was 13, 14, 16, and then 19. But now, uh, or like the next year, I believe it will be 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and then 19. So the gaps between the years will be smaller as yeah. like a part of the developing um the developing developing plan to so, make. So we're kind of in the thirteen, fourteen yeah year range. Mm-hmm. That's our profession, that's our expertise. We, we are like the coaches that are the first coaches that step in after the parents quit. Quit, yeah. Yeah. Well basically. like the tr- transition period period from parent coaches to club coaches. Yeah. Yeah. Which in Norway is at least very normal to have just parents doing that until yeah, they're like no, 14. No, normally you don't get like external coaches before you are 13, 14. Sometimes I know some teams that have parent coaches until they're 17, 18. But it all depends on like how capable the parents is of doing yeah. a good job, how interested they are, how much time they have. So normally parents don't have time or the qualifications to be a coach past a seven aside. Yeah, but but the, when I was in Iceland, yeah, because I'm obviously from Iceland, I'm an mm-hmm. Icelander. Obviously, my dad was also telling me, oh, like they have professional coaches from since they were like six. Yeah. Do 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 you think that Norway as a whole is lacking because? they don't have the same luxury? Well, it depends because mo- a lot of like the parents, the our coaches, are very capable. I have to say that because my my father was my coach <laughs> from when I was six to when I was, was four, like 14. So a lot of parents do have, for example, a football background. For example, my father played. My father played at a very high level football. So he had like football background and we had another parent coach that had like had been uh, a coach for like the local region regional teams that you know the crest teams yeah uh, so we have some capable 
parent coaches and it's some sort of like having football is very big in Norway it's a big sport so in Iceland there's probably more youths that play football in Norway than there are the population of Iceland <laughs> so it, it's very hard to have like professional coaches coach them from minus six compared to Iceland so if you want to do like professional coaches from the minus six just in Bergen you probably will make it happen but on like the plethora of the whole of the whole country and spreading out to every club in Norway is very hard. It's basically not possible, and uh, we have like this grass grassroots type of social social climb. So you have to have some sort of grassroots background and so forth. So you have to have like this start from the bottom and then work yourself up. So if you just jump to the professional coaches, um, the Jantelov, <laughs> which is like this, uh, you're not better than anyone else law we have in Norway, or like this social norm. If you start professional course, uh, coaches and stuff like that, uh, very early, you will, like, we believe that you will, like, lose touch of, or, like, lose humbleness. So I think that's a part of the reason why we don't have a lot of professional coaches from a young age. Yeah, but do you think they're suffering because of that? Do you think that they're no, worse no, no. off? Because a lot of the, the developing in the younger years, you won't become a good player until you're maybe 12, 13. And then when you're 12, 13, you really start to like build your playing, or like your football IQ, which is very important. But... As a coach now, when I'm coaching 14-year-olds, I try to develop that. But until you're like 11, you just practice on your shooting and your passing and the basic techniques. So a professional coach probably will maybe boost it a bit, but won't boost it that much. And the real development phase of a football player won't start until they're 12, 13. Yeah, so I, yeah. I do I do believe that we don't actually slack or like we're not slacking because of we don't have professional co- coaches because for for, for first part uh, football is not just for the professionals it's like a broad span we have like for example in the senior football we have like eight divisions for men which is a very broad specter of level of playing so football is not just to make people as good as they possibly can be it's also to keep them in football for as long as they can be so if you have uh, professional coaches from the age of six maybe a lot of players will quit at an earlier stage and you don't want that because you want the social part uh, of football to be as important as the uh, like the ability aspect of, of it so you j- don't want just to um, improve the player's attributes you want to improve their like social behavior and it's sort of a second school for them it's part of part of their upbringing so for example in my club uh, our motto is 
as many as possible for as long as possible. We don't care how good they become. We try to make them the best they can be. But the most important thing is that people have a place to feel like a second home, which is the football club. So it, uh, the football clubs don't just have this sporting um, sporting responsibility. You also have this social responsibility to take care of the community. Yeah, but you don't think that professional coaches can supply that? Well, yeah, but the focus becomes like shifted, and I believe that the sport will change, and I don't think the sport the sport will like be better because of it. I think we'll slack even more if we start to like professionalize the whole sport. Slacking in more, like, what do you put in that? You don't get like the broad specters if you start to like filtrate the players too early mm. and try to like just make the best players as possible. Uh, more people will fall off, and you, for example, will probably lose the late bloomers. You have like a lot of <laughs> you have a lot of players that are like late bloomers who don't take that big of like developing steps until they're 12, 13, and then they take big steps at like 14, 16, 18. And if they fall off when you're 11, you won't, they won't be able to succeed. Like we have a lot of players that have succeeded at an older age. For example, a Norwegian player called Rune Bratsat. Okay. He, I believe he played like in third, the third division at like age 23. And then he went to Rosenborg at like age 25. At, and at like 28, I believe, he was like the best best um, defensive player in the Bundesliga. In the Bundesliga? Yeah. Oh, okay. So he went, he's probably the best defender that has ever played or the best Norwegian defender of all time. But he didn't like succeed until he was like 25. So you have like those sort of late bloomers that you don't see that often because of the system, system the football has developed. And if you start to like professionalize it even more, you lose touch with the broad spectrum of the sport and you start to like, it gets narrower and narrower and then you lose the great, the great feeling of the sport, which is that everyone can, everyone can join. It's a sport for everyone. If you start to say that it's only a sport for the people that are good at it, like good at it, you lose a lot of people, and you don't want that. Well, it's just, so, so you think that just waste your you getting professionals that people would just quit or get kicked out of the club? Like, what do you? No, but I feel like people will like love players just play football for fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're always striving to just make them better and make them suffer, for example. Some of, them, some of them will like that, and some of them will turn into professionals. But the ones that won't like that, that would probably play until they're 17 and then get bored. They will get bored at 11 and quit. And you don't get the board specter. And I think that that just will be the demise of the sport. 
the demise of the sport. Yeah, the Norwegian demise of the sport. Right, you think that if you got professionals, that it would just destroy the whole sport, no? No, but like, for example, professionals would cost money, okay. which is a very great aspect of it, which would make it, if you bring professionals, you have to pay them, and to pay them, the players have to pay more in like club fees, which, for example, removes the ability for low-income families to join the sport as well. And that is probably the worst scenario because a lot of players, like a lot of the national team players, come from low-income families, and you want to let you want don't want like football to be a luxury sport. It has always be, been like a working-class sport, and if it becomes more and more expensive for football players to join the sport, you will because lacking uh, there as well because. You won't get the extreme talents that possibly don't have or are not that affluent that won't be able to pay the club fees if you have professional coaches. Like, for example, you have in the eastern part of Norway, you have some rich rich communities and stuff like that in, in and around Oslo. For example, you have a club called Starbuck and Lean, which both have like big academies filled with very professional coaches. But it costs like, I believe, it's like five, five six thousand dollars a year to, to, play? to join the academy. Well, so the club fees are really high. So 50 or 60 thousand kroner yeah, a year. Yeah, 40, 40 to 50. And because you have professional coaches that you have to pay and stuff like that. So it's only the affluent families who are able to afford it. And then you lose touch with maybe a lot of poor kids that are really talented but can afford to play in those academies. And then you lose them forever because they have to play in like small teams, they don't get the matching. So if big teams uh, say that in order for you to develop, you have to pay us a lot of money. You will lose a lot of players, and the national team will. Just for example, you have Omar Abdullahi, the vice captain of Norway. He comes from a low income family. If he can't afford to play for those big Oslo teams, and they say, Oh, we want you to come here to, for example, Stubbeck, and say, Okay, uh, we think you're talented. Let's go, just come and play with us. But you have to p- pay like 10,000 kroners in the yearly fee just to play for them. And then all your teammates go to this academy, which you have to pay 40,000 to 50,000 kroners a year to be part of. And he struggles just to pay the 10, 12,000 yearly fee just to play for them on a normal level. So then. You say, oh, uh, a, a poor kid would say, okay, I can't play anymore. For this team, he ends up in a team that's cheaper, but don't have the same like sporting, sporting like the same quality of development, and he falls behind, gets bored, and then you lose him, which could be a poss- possible great player, but you lose him because. Uh, it's too expensive so 
if it becomes too expensive, it sort of starts being like the American football system, which is pretty, pretty messed up. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, but in the US, I think it almost like football has been become a rich man's sport because you have to play pay this much to be in like academies. For example, you see the leading, the leading, and uh, yeah, the best player from the US right now is Christian Pulisic. Mm -hmm. Rich man. He is? Yeah, traveled around Europe to like <laughs> pay for trials at Barcelona and stuff like that. And trained by a lot of European top teams. Because he's rich and can pay so into it but it's a lot of Americans to say that they probably have been called slacking and most of the good players or the hugely talented ones just have to stop because they can't afford to play soccer anymore or football or like soccer in the US because the yeah, the club fees and the academy fees are so high so you end up with national teams in the US that are mostly white from affluent families who are some sort of good, but you don't get natural de natural development of all the country, which makes, for example, that um, uh, you get the best, best talents from your country to represent your team. It's more like the best players of the affluent part of the country. For example, you say that you can see that, for example, France, who won the World Cup, in 2018, uh, their whole team well, like, was was it eight or nine of the starting eleven in the World Cup final were from African backgrounds, which means that our statistics they're most probably from low-income families, which means that if you uh, start with professional coaches and stuff like that, which raise the club fees and make football an uh, affluent-based sport. Those players won't make it the whole way or probably will become late bloomers. And therefore, you won't get the teams like France, which have hugely immigrant-based players, which will lead to that the national teams and the professional sport will be lacking. So I believe that you have to make football is sport where everyone can join and therefore you have to like base the junior like the junior years like 6 to 12 mainly on volunteering you can't pay coaches to be from 6 to 12 because football becomes too expensive and then you lose a lot of players now I have, haven't I mean I moved here when I was 3 so yeah. I don't know that system a lot over in Iceland but I've never been told that's a problem, at least financials. Yeah. And I'm not saying that everyone is rich, obviously. No, no. But I've never been told, like, oh, yeah, even though they have professional coaches, they're paying, like, $50,000 a year. I've, I've never heard anything remotely close to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if, if we take away the money aspect mm -hmm. and just focus on what you're getting, in terms of development, in terms of, as you said, keeping everybody in, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if it, let's say the, the co it costs the exact same amount, the professionals and 
the parents? Like, would you then say that in a way it's lacking or like they are kind of not getting the best that they could? Well, the same? for some sort, you will be lacking because the professional will probably have a special eye for things. They won't be biased like some parents will be and other stuff like that. But the problem with professionals is that they can be too focused on results, which means that if you have four good players at the age of 10, 11, and you focus on developing them four because they're the best and see, okay, these four can be really good. So we develop these four and then be like neglecting to the 12 others. Um, the problem is that you don't see the professionals can, if they are not trained good enough, they won't be able to see that in youth football, the development process of players is very different. So you have to have an eye on every one of them and try to develop all of them. So, for example, Joanne Cruyff said that with the way the Ajax system is based, not be, or like build up now, he wouldn't get through. Joanne Cruyff, one of the best footballers, footballers of all time, mm. he wouldn't get through the Ajax system because he said that I don't shoot hard enough. Um, I don't shoot hard enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm like not built like that. So when he was 14, 15, he wasn't like strong enough and he didn't have like the attributes. We have like the vision, which is probably one of the most important things in football. He had the wish, vision and he had uh, the football IQ, which is very hard to coach. It's very easy to make a player stand on the football pitch and shoot as hard as he can for a long time as he gets better. But if you don't know how to use those attributes and use like time and pass and stuff like that, he, he, he will be lacking when he gets older. So if, if the coaches become neglect to the full picture of, of the players, it will much rather be, I would much rather have a parent that isn't that focused on supporting merit and stuff like that. And most and would rather focus on like make everyone happy. Because if everyone's happy, you have the potential of all players to step ahead and make it better. But if you have a professional coach that ends up focusing on just a couple of players, I think the system would like be too streamlined and the focus on like physical attributes and people that grow faster and stuff like that. And the results based like the focus on results in young age groups would ruin the whole system. But it depends because you don't know if the professional coaches will be focused on that or not. So if the professional coaches will focus on that and be able to see everyone. I think there's nothing neg negative about it, but I believe that, for example, parents have an experience of raising kids and they have like this emotional connection to the team, which probably makes them a better fit for most teams. Yeah, I, I can kind of see what you mean in, in terms, in those terms. And then he also said 
also said that after a certain age, you know, it's not about, um, I, I mean, you said, you said when you're like 14, 15, that that's when it, you know, you're not practicing the basic techniques anymore, you're finding. Yeah, so... I sh- like, like would, you, would you say that then a professional would be more Yeah, of viable? course, because when you come to, like, the age of 13, 14, 15, it's maybe, I believe it, the age group 14, 15, 14 to 15 is probably the most important, important age for a footballer because then you go from practicing, practicing techniques to developing your football IQ. So, for example, I believe that a football player can be based on two things. You have the ability of a football player and the potential. So the, the ability is what you have right now. So the level you're, level you're playing at right now. So, for example, if you have a third nail, that is very good. And then you have the potential. So the ability is based on like your attributes, how hard you can shoot, how good you can shoot, how good you are finishing, how... Your precision at passing, whilst your potential is your football IQ, and what you actually can do with the ball when you receive it, how you press, how you do it, how do you defend, how you make choices on the football field. So, in in the ages of thirteen to fifteen, you want to expand the potential of a player for as much as you can, and like the focus on developing developing the abilities is more focused on the years 6 through 11, 12. And then when you come to 14, you want to develop the potential because you have to lay some groundwork and have some sort of abilities to have the understanding of how you can develop your football IQ. But when you have that, the most important thing is to develop your football IQ. Because, for example, the ability to make a good pass pass it's not that important if you can't make if you don't have the understanding to like make a space for the pass so for example if you have a player you have to be, uh, be able to make space for yourself to have good enough, good enough time to make the accurate pass that comes to football IQ so the potential is the p- potential I think of is the max potential is the maximal level of what you can do with your attributes. So your ability can always shift, but if you have the potential here and your ability here, if you don't improve your football IQ, for example, you can always practice on finishing and stuff like that, which means that your abilities will be closer and closer to your potential. But at some point, if you practice, practice, practice and practice finishing, you'll be closer to you to your potential. But if you don't, for example, learn how to come in different positions and different sh- finishing positions for a striker, you only practice finishing. You can be a good, good, as finish, good at finishing as you want, but if you don't learn how to get in different positions and how to trick the defender, you won't get past the potential point which means that you won't get better if you just practice and practice. You have to learn football and develop your potential as well. So for example, Erling Haaland, great player. You see that he doesn't, 
he isn't like a great striker because of his finishing. He's a great striker because he found space. He fi- finds spaces to run in, and he always he is like at the right place at the right time all the time. He times his runs at the exact perfect time. It's because of football IQ, because he knows what to do, which means that when you you see like videos of him when he was younger, he doesn't like battering goals every time he plays. You see he has lanky, his technique is that good. But that is something that you can like practice on yourself. A coach's role is to develop your football IQ. So that's why professional coaches will help a lot in the years 13 to 15 because you have to develop your football IQ and there's where like a parent's quality cap will stop. If unless you have like a pro football parent, a professional coach has to come in and see, come in to the players, show them what to think in different situations, which choices to make, and then you'll be able to develop their, as I see it, like develop their p- potential and not just their ability. For example, David Backham is t- the tale of their, David Backham where he. stood on football field and shot like the same free kick over and over again until he made it a hundred times in a row but it doesn't help if like you make hit a target a hundred times in a row if you don't know how to run into the space to get the ball make space for yourself and then shoot the ball there's no there's no reason to practice on shooting if you don't if you're not able to create a space for yourself to shoot so I believe that football IQ and vision and stuff like that is probably more important than your abilities and that's why you have to make sure that you're not like negligent of any player until maybe like 17 then you'll have a pretty good case to say like this player is not that good while this player is good because you don't know their football IQ, you only know their abilities on how what they show on the field. So, yeah, I believe that you have to focus on every player and every player's aspects of the game to really develop them. You have to look at the players and coach them one by one. You can't coach a team. When you coach a team, you have to try to develop every single player you have to try to develop every individual as an individual and then incorporate it into a team and yeah I believe for example love coaches in youth level focuses too much on results which means that you develop your players abilities but you forget to focus on the developing their potential which means that the players will be better than their peer than their peers at football at that age, but if your peers uh, develop their football IQ but didn't focus on their ability, you will lag behind in two years' time. If you understand, yeah, yeah, and, and you're always saying a lot of football IQ. You need to improve that. That's that's yeah. the key, right? It it kind of sounds all 
I mean, when you're focusing on the attributes, eternal attributes, it sounds pretty simple. You know, you just shoot a lot. You know, you do a lot of dribbles in training. Yeah. You can even do that alone. Mm-hmm. You don't even need people to do that. Yeah. Uh, so, but to me, it sounds, I mean, you can obviously, it, it probably a bit harder than I'm, I mean, it is, it is hard to train attributes as well. Yeah. Just put in like the time and the effort and just doing, doing a lot of different exercises, right? But the football IQ thing, mm-hmm. right? Because you have people like Mbappe, who have a lot of football IQ. Yeah. And have speed and talent to back it up, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what I know about him is that he watches a lot of football when he's not playing as well. Yeah. Right? And I think that definitely helped him develop his football IQ, as, as you're saying. But what are like the most important, or what, what do you think is the most important um, part of building that IQ because you you're saying a lot you need to, you need to build it but you're not saying how. Especially well, specific, I believe specific. that I believe that maybe the most important aspect of like developing the football IQ is to have exposure to the exposure to different situations. So, for example, you have a lot of uh, formational training. For example, if you practice on playing it out from the back or high pressing and develop, try to work in these types of uh, attacking and defensive systems, your IQ will, or you, you will understand that system, which means you have exposure to that type of system, and then you will develop your IQ as well. So you have to both coach players on a tactical basis on different tactics to make them as complex as possible to be able to, for example, play different positions. That is part of football IQ. I believe, as a coach myself, that you have a player should be able to play two to three positions on the field because you have to be uh, prepared for every type of coach as well as every type of football or every type of tactical, tactical, tactical differences between coaches. So... Your football IQ, you need to have exposure to situations. It's just just like driving. When you drive, you get a better driver with age because you have been in different type of driving situations, which means that you know what to do the next time you, you get in that situation. So that's well with a football, football IQ. If you know what to do, if you have like a drill and training where you're under pressure by a position player, then you know what to do to either relieve that situation by dribbling him or just make simple pass. So to know what to do in those situations by being exposed to those situations, your IQ will drastically improve. But also you have to have like this understanding of the game, uh, the understanding of how to create space for yourself. So if you have a player that is marked by an opposition player and you will get pass. You have to make them understand that to create space for yourself, you have to lead the opposition player in an opposite way and then pull back. You have to try to trick the opposition player or create space for yourself by not running away from him, but make him like run away from you. And you have to teach them how to for example, solve one type of play and then when they 
uh, when you learn a player how to saw one type of play, they will be able to understand three other situa situations because they will, be able to, they will be able to think for themselves as well. So, for example, if you teach a player how to create space for themselves in a in like receiving a pass and playing another pass, they will, for example, maybe be able to think for themselves and be able to create space for themselves in a shooting situation on how to run into the box. So if you if a player is exposed to one situation, he will be able to think for himself and create a solution for another situation. So it's always about knowing what to do in simple situations will make you, make you able to solve complex situations, if you understand. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's like you know, you, you, you've been in that situation before, then you can get yeah, yeah. more wisely, essentially. Mm -hmm. So, so, and and you practice that by playing with others in games. You yeah, for example, by, you, you can do. And would you say would you agree that you can practice your football IQ by watching games? Well, I believe that you don't have to like be interested in football to be a good football player. It is possible to have a natural football IQ without finding football especially interesting. But I think you will. You will to some degree can you can to some degree expand your football IQ by being interested and in watching the better the best players because you see what they do and you try to replicate it. But you also have to have this sort of you have to have this understanding that you are not as good as them. So you can't do the same as them. Like, <laughs> you can't shoot from 40 meters because a pro can shoot from 40 meters. You yeah. have to be able to humble yourself and see that I have to develop this and this to be able to do this and this. So I think that to some degree you will be able to develop your football IQ by watching professionals and watching more and more football. But what you do on the field, in training and in games, is the more most important yeah, mo most important part of developing. And for example, when drill-wise, when it comes to developing your football IQ, uh, mostly we use like possession drills where you have two teams, two three teams, or like just a possession-based drill where teams try to keep the ball in their teams for as long as possible. So, this really helps by developing your football IQ because it replicates most of the aspects of a game. You get defending when you don't have the ball, you get possession-based play when you have the ball, and you will develop your football IQ by knowing what to do in hybrid situation, and the pressure will be higher in a possession drill than in an actual game because it's a lot smaller pitch. So, Possession drills is mostly the best best type of way to develop your football IQ drill-wise. But also just playing football, playing games will help you. If you understand, because when you play games, you get in new situa situations. You replicate situations that will happen in an official game. So playing games, for example, tra training, 
playing matches at the end of training, you will be able to develop your football IQ because you get in new situations and you will know what to do. But you also have to, as a coach, tell the players what they did wrong. For example, if you have a match at the end of training and you see that a player did the wrong choice, did the wrong choice, you have to tell them that they did the wrong choice so that they don't do it again. So you have to you have to tell them what's right, right and wrong, so that they don't do the same mistakes over and over and over and over, and over again. Yeah, you, you should give them feedback individually. Yeah, you have to give them feedback, feedback, and you also have to, like, teach them what's the right way as well. Yeah. And then, uh, but but your favorite? I mean, my favorite exercise when it comes to like possession play. Mm-hmm. That is when you put three teams. Yeah. Somewhere between like nine or. I mean, three, three or four players per team. Four, four or five. Oh, you, yeah, you four go four or five. five? Okay. Because I, you have to have some sort of opposition as well. Yeah, okay. You have to have like those who does not have the ball. They have to be like four or five players to make yeah. it work. Yeah, right, because I, I usually go with four. Yeah. That's like my... I only go with three and there's not not enough. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But so... So, um, so, so then, then I put three teams, obviously, and one of them, one of them is in the middle. One of them, (laughs) one of them is in the middle. Mm. Uh, and then, but what I've been trying to do is that every time they lose the ball, I mean, whoever loses the ball goes to the middle. Yeah. But I don't know if it's my age or just what it is, but they always just like end up arguing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, no, I wasn't the last one. Oh, no, you, whatever, right? And then I, nowadays, I always go with time-based. Yeah. You know, I put two minutes on. You chase the ball. You're not done until the timer hits. Yeah. Right? And I always make them try and count, count the amount of, um, like, interceptions. Break, interceptions they get, yeah. Uh, do you, do you, do the same thing at all, or yeah? Like, what do you do? So how do you do it? From experience, uh, having like the drill where you switch which team is in opposition and which is in possession of the ball every time they lose the ball, mm-hmm. it doesn't really work on people that you uh, either have haven't played that much football or are very young because when they're young. For the first part, their brain isn't very developed, which means that they can't focus on more than maybe maybe just either you're having the ball and you're in possession or in opposition. So mostly the players have to just have one focus, which is either try to keep the ball for as long, for as, long as possible or try to win the ball. So, for example, when you're 13, 14, it gets too complex for most players to have the sort of switch in the drill. So I I do the same as you, use the time-based, interception-based formula of doing the drill because my players mostly don't hold the level to understand and focus enough to be able to make the drill effective. Uh, effective 
deficiency of the drill will fall away if yeah, you exactly. don't understand it. Exactly, because they just focus on like the wrong thing. It's yeah. like, oh, who was the last one to touch the ball when yeah. it lets out? Instead of how many interceptions, like, what did I do wrong in, in losing the ball? You know what I mean? They're more, foc- more focused of like making the, the, the team that they're joined with one in three teams. The yeah. two teams in possession will be more focused on not being the team that loses the ball, yeah. <laughs> actually playing good football. Yeah, and it gets very childish, but there are children, so it's it's, it's understandable. Fine. But you have to, you always have to try to try to have drills that are fit for the people that you coach. You also have to base your drills on their attribute attributes and their ability to play football. Not. You shouldn't make drill that you have to be on this level when you have this level and hope that they strive up yeah, to this yeah. level. You w- rather like work yourselves up. Yeah, you, I mean, you want to be slightly above. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Then you want you want to have a drill that's hard enough that you will see development. Yeah. Over some sort of time, and then you can make a new drill. But you don't want to like set an end goal and hope that they strive for that. Because then you'll just, it will just implode. And also what I was, um, I think I was kind of wondering about was, uh, do you make them play in like, you know, triangles and squares and one dude in the middle trying to chase the ball? Yeah. <laughs> do you have the same problem where they just go with the nutmegs every <laughs> every time? And no, but the problem is there's always in the team the level is not consistent. So you don't, every, every player isn't at this level, which means that there often has, is like a worse player and a very good player. And if you get like two to three worse players and these end up in the middle, they're most likely not that, doesn't have like the highest football IQ and they, most likely aren't that fit. And when they end up in the middle, what happens is that they end up in the middle for a very long time. So you have to like sometimes just interrupt their session and say, okay, he has to go out of the middle, put a new one in, and then it goes like 20 seconds and then it's in the middle again. So you have to, with what I said earlier, you have to see every player, you have to see that uh, a worse player won't get any, won't develop if he always ends up in the middle and just ends up running around. So, like, those triangle or four, four types of, yeah, four, yeah. yeah, those types of drills, they can be efficient to some degree, but you have mostly in the young ages when there are very big skill gaps. You have to interrupt the drills and try to make them as fair as possible. But it's great, like, warm-up practice, and the older you get, the better it is because the tempo and the defending inside of the middle is much greater. So then you can develop it from, like, this triangle to... And you end up in 
uh, what you call a rondo. Yeah. A rondo is like a big circle of players. You have one touch, each player, and you have two in the middle that chase the ball. And that's like what you use at like top level because you only have one touch, uh, you stand in a circle, and you get high intensity for those who run around in the middle. So that that's what like the top teams use as well. So you can do it from a like skill based. You shouldn't start doing like a full rounder until you're like sixteen. But from that, it just is great and fun, and it's like a good exercise, and it's fun for most of the players except the ones that are in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I. I I was very ambitious when I first started, and I was like, <laughs> the first thing I did was the rondo. Yeah. And, uh... But, like, when you're a coach, you have to, like, try drills, yeah. and if they are not able to understand it, you say, okay, that was too complex. We'll do that again when they're better. Later, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just... It, it's... Well, I mean, would you agree that it's a lot of, like, trial and error? Is it's, yeah, yeah. You know, you, sometimes you might just know the drill is way too difficult. Like it's it's just stupid. And sometimes I'm I'm sitting there, I'm planning like the session for next week or something, mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try something new. This sounds very like intuitive. It sounds like there this is definitely gonna work. And then I show up in training, you know, all confident. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna really improve today. And then it just goes bananas. Yeah. It, it's just completely... And then you have to kind of scrap what you have. And just improve. And then, yeah. And, uh, improvise. Yeah, and then you're like, well, I got 40 minutes. And I. the thing I was going to do was way too complicated. I'm like, okay, well, what the hell am I going to do now? And when you, when you set, up, like, set up a complicated drill, it mostly takes... like It's level base as well. So you start at one level and then you go around and higher. And if they don't make the first level or can't complete like the first level of how hard it is, you're fucked yeah. because <laughs> then you can't go. You can't go to the next level because they couldn't make the first level. Exactly. And then you have like a thirty-minute gap. We have to try to fill it with a new drill. Uh, but mostly, like when you to try and learn is more that you sort of think the best of yourself and think uh, it's probably too hard but I'm a good coach so I will oh, yeah. I'm, I'm good enough to explain it to them and because I'm so good they'll understand it and then they don't understand fuck and then you're like <laughs> okay so either you waste 30 minutes trying to explain this drill or you have like okay, we just go to back to the uh, like a basic drill that they will get something out of, but it's not what you thought. But as a youth coach, I experienced a lot of that. <laughs> Either you have a drill that's like too complicated, and they don't understand it. And when they're young as well, they try when they it, when they don't understand it, they just like fuck around and yeah. don't yeah. don't do anything. But when you when you use a drill when you're new as coach and you use a drill that they've done before they're like uh, we've done it before we don't want to do this and then you give them a new drill 
And they're like, what the fuck is this? This is way too hard. Like, yeah, exactly. what are you going to do? Because if you do a drill that you know they will be able to do, and they have the ability to do, they complain because they've done it before. And when you do a drill that they've done before, they fuck up, fuck up then, then as well. They fuck up the easy <laughs> drills. Like, you have like these triangles that you just have to pass and then run after the ball. Four people in a triangle, one at each cone, with one cone that's two at, and you just pass. Suddenly, you're, the balls are flying everywhere. I don't know, but like, when, when you have youth players, they always have the ability to fuck up in some extreme and special way. <laughs> And especially, I can't say that I failed that much as a youth coach because we play like nine games, ten games, with my, or like my team had nine, ten games when I've been a coach, uh, and we won every game. So I'm kind of hyped. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I feel like and that's I'm very you. I'm that's very lucky. I'm very lucky because the team I've gotten to work with is very talented. And the skill gap isn't that big. Most of the team is like in inside like one type of one category of skill based, or like they're very close when it comes to skill. So it's much easier to coach them. And uh, so I've been very lucky with the group of players that I've gotten to coach because they're pretty great. Yeah, very, very uh, great for myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that I, um, I remember I attended one of your sessions, and then I wrote your feedback. Did I ever send that, by the way? No. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay, that was like two months, like th three months ago. Three months ago. Yeah. Better. Okay. I totally forgot to send it. Yeah. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I only don't need feedback from like amateurs. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the things that I kind of was noting was, and I, I'm kind of guilty of this myself, yeah. but, uh, and also we had this substitute teacher, which, which, which kind of was the same thing. And mm -hmm. I believe that you kind of had to find a balance between being their mates yeah. and being like, you know, the boring, you're going to learn from me as well. You know yeah, what I mean? but so, the thing is like, with my role as coach, because at the time, and still, I'm like, I'm not a head coach, I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an assistant coach. But like, in like, especially the fall when I had another head coach, um, we like, we were like, on the same like, power bases. Like, I decided the tactics and the teams he was like set up as the main coach so when you have like a head coach and an assistant coach the head coach becomes the like the more boring and gives me room to be like more of the mates so you have to try to gain the respect as well as saying i'm not like just a boring person i'm the young coach that will also be your mate and help you uh, or like have fun with you but you also have to try, try like gain their, gain enough respect from them to make them understand that what you're saying to them will actually make them a better player. 
So I don't think I've I haven't I'm far from like far from like my top level of how to like when it comes to like charisma and how to make them understand that um I'm like I'm an authoritarian person. But like one one thing that I did was like before we took like Christmas break, we had like two three uh, practices where <laughs> we have like some uh, uh, like not football training, more like strength based training workouts, and I like those type of workout was pretty hard. Like a lot of burpees, a lot for you, of runs. For, them. Hmm? for you, for them. For them. Okay. I was just standing there laughing at <laughs> okay, it. Okay. So <laughs> then you get like the authoritarian part of it by making them suffer while you, you can just stand looking at them. Then you gain some like type of respect because they understand that if you want to, you can make them hurt or suffer. And also, the fact is, all they want is to play football. They enjoy playing football. So when you are the one deciding the team and the tactics, stuff like that, who will play and who will sit on the bench, you get gain some respect from that as well. So when you hold that power of the power over them, you, they have to listen, and you have to make them understand that if you don't listen to me, I can control how much you play. So if you listen to me and I see that you've done things and developed because of the things I've said, you probably play more. And that's like uh, what is called in Norwegian, we have the saying of carrot and uh, whip from like horses, that there's two types of making people do things for you. You can either use the carrot, like, like making giving them some sort of benefit from what they're doing or like make them suffer to do it, like whipping, the, whipping a horse to make them run or giving them a character run. Yeah, it's pretty in- intuitive. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I'm trying to like be their mates because I've seen that coaches that distance, distance themselves from the players too much doesn't like aren't able to connect with the players that much but you also have to understand that you are not part of the team you are the one leading the team so you have to give try to gain some respect from them as well yeah, and, and and that's kind of how I stand as well where you know I might at a training you know while we're it's always a pretty long walk like from yeah. from the, the pitch to like whatever, to, like, the car or something. And then, you know what, you might talk about, you know, like, FIFA or something, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, uh, for fun. Or, like, even to the pitch. But, like, I try, when we're in training, like, to, like, knock that down, you know what I mean? Yeah. And therefore, like, uh, I'm hoping that they can acknowledge that, oh, like, when the training is, then it's, like, kind of professional, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then afterwards, you know, we can we can fuck around with this. yeah. I tried to like, yeah, and also, also, uh, sorry for like intruding, but it's this kind of, um, I don't, 
I couldn't remember when I was at their age. There was nobody like us. There was nobody like, like, you know, eighteen year old that I could look up to. Well, I mean, did, did I you didn't have, like, have like. I mean, you had, you had brothers, obviously, but yeah, but like, when I was like 14, 14, when I was fourteen, we had some sort of like coach that was like me that was helping out, taking their coach's degree and stuff like that. But he wasn't that like high up the ranks. He was like our assistant coach and was helping, but he wasn't that prominent in like the coaching staff as probably I will be with my team. Um, so we have like had some youth coaches up for years. But I think right now, both with like the club trying to get more youth coaches and trying to like develop a bigger batch of youth coaches in the club, as well as like the interest from like 17, 18 year olds is bigger for being a coach. You will get more 18, 17, 18, 19 year olds being coaches for younger teams. And I think it helps having like a young perspective because most of, most of like the experience I have is from the last few years. And I know what it's like to being an under 14s player because I was that four years ago. So being able to have like really recent experience from what the players are going through, I think that brings a lot to the table. Yeah, it, and and okay. Then you probably had somebody, but I, when I was, I mean, up until now, basically, I've yeah, I haven't really had anybody that was you know like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, yeah. eighteen. You know, like you know those older guys you you would see, uh, when you, I mean, whenever right, like st- students, you know, yeah. you, when you think that oh they're they're grown ups, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, and I was like oh look up to them because. You know, they they would work out. They would do this and that, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't really have that. Oh, and so for me, um, it was always like the senior team okay, at the club that was like the prominent figure of what you want to reach someday. Because I think we started training with the under-19s when we were 15. That was like the first time we trained with them. So you went from like, you couldn't worship like the under 19s, which were like the oldest guys when you were training with them. So for me, it's always been like the senior team at the club that was like the figure that you looked up to and was like you're some, some kind of worshiping. Like, worshiping. Yeah, but like it was those who was like the pros at the club that was. It was those you like, you want to reach that level someday. And you, there are, it sounds a bit foolish, but like, there were, maybe like, you looked a bit like holy. Okay. That were were holy, like, they were untouchable because they were the senior team. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in the senior team. And I've been like with the senior team since I was 16. So, from 
when you're 16, when you're done, like play with them every week and train with them, it gets like a bit different situation because like you can't look up to a team that you play on and train with. You can kind of do that. Yeah, yeah, but like you go from being like a player that says, oh, I want to be like them one day to like being yelled at and yelling at them in training every week and you get more like the respect is still there and you gain at the same time you gain more respect for them because you see how good they are they are and you have to you actually play with them but you also lose respect because you don't get like the distance between you you don't get that humbled it's more like you get close to them and you see how they how good they are actually and then see oh but I'm near their level, and they're like, oh, okay. And then you, like, start to worship or, like, look up to professional players as that because you've reached the highest rank of your club, so you have to look for down your club. Oh, I, I would kind of, um, I mean, I would imagine that when Marcus Rashford was first admitted to the first team, that he would still yeah. look up to Rooney. He, yeah. That, wouldn't, that was not that. I wouldn't entirely agree with that. And, but anyway, if we go back to the, like, I didn't really have that, mm-hmm. that I can recall anyway. Yeah. So, so I'm, now that I'm, you know, coaching and I take on the role, I feel like, um, I'm also trying to take on like a mentor, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Someone that they can look up to and inspire to be at, yeah. right? That also including improving myself. Yeah. Right. By just trying to be there for them, try, try helping them improve the meantime, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, now I'm obviously trying to, you know, be there on time, you know, respect everyone, make, make sure everyone is included, yeah. everyone is heard, you know, you're not being a cunt to these guys to impress them, you know, like you're complete, you, you know, you're nice to everyone, right? Yeah. And I want them to see that I'm nice to everyone so that they also become nice to everyone. So it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, they, they become like dickheads tomorrow, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and that's what I'm also trying to and also, and that doesn't just include like when I'm training. That also means that, you know, uh, that I stay healthy. I I, I truly believe that I, that that's an important thing. Yeah. And I'm still healthy. That I'm also I'm I'm still playing myself. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely helps a lot. And you know, like you, you kind of, you, show them your good habits, mm-hmm. so they kind of try and follow suit. Yeah. And for, yeah. Yeah. For example, when I'm in training when we, like, are an odd number of players. I join yeah, yeah, yeah. playing a bit. And I try to, like, show them what li- level I am at so that they know that there's still a way to go. Because, <laughs> yeah, but, like... I'm a beast. I'm a beast. Yeah, but, like, when you show them what level you're at and show them, yeah, you're better than them, mm. you gain a bit of respect from that as well because you show them that you're better than them so they have something to strive, strive after and know that this person has become this good so it's possible for me to be this good mm. but we also have to like for example when we have like had a month break from training um, I still follow bu- followed up on them and try to have them 
train them on their own and monitor them and make them say how much they train there each week. So how I try to like make sure that they know that I care about what they do, not just on the field, but how much they train when we're not having training together and how much they how much the work where it is, how much they care. Because I want to show that I care and I want them to care because I care. So I want them to like, we have this equal relationship where I put in hours and put in hours and work into making them as good as player as they can be. And then they have to show up with the same care where they care about being having the work rate to be the best player that I can be. So I want to show that I care because then I f- feel like I can expect that they can they show the same amount of care back at me. If I, if I get, how do you follow up on them? It that well that to me seems like a really like fine line between stalks <laughs> just straight up stalking and No, but like I tried to, because when I was younger, we had, like, Facebook groups where okay. we sent in. But the problem is that no 14-year-old have Facebook right now. Mm. So the par- I just said to them on a training that you should get Facebook so that we can make a training group or, like, work workout group. Mm. But then it spread to the parents, and the parents were like, it, it wasn't okay to ask them to have Facebook and stuff like that. And then I was like, fuck, so I'm going to follow up on them. So I just had them, I just made like this sort of program with a lot of different workout drills and different types of workouts when it comes to like stamina, like running and stuff like that, when it comes to strength and when it comes to, what was it? I think different parts, different stretching methods and stuff like that. and then I made it all in like a document, uh, sent it out to them. We have like this app called Spond, mm-hmm. where you give information to your players. And then each week I made like this like end of the week um, quiz or like, I don't know what you call it, but like this like poll where you crossed out how much you worked out and what you worked out with. For example, if you play football, if you had done another sport, if you had gone out and run, if you had yeah had a strength workout and stuff like that, and then you, I trust them to report what they actually done. Like not lie. Yeah, because <laughs> if they lied, I will see it when we start training again. Yeah. What physical level they are at. But what I've seen from like the polls, it seems like they're saying the truth. And I've gotten to know them, so I know that this guy does another sport, so I know that he will train a lot, even though we don't have football. Hmm. And this guy does has a high worker in in training, so if I ask him to train outside of training, he will. So I know them, so I know that if they're lying, they're I can see that. But mostly. The like the workout regime I set up outside of training. It's most like to see 
what basis we're at when we're starting a new like preseason. Because if they hadn't trained when we stopped training, if they like didn't do any work at their own, we had to we have to like lay a lot more like a lot more physical groundwork and a lot more we have to have a lot more physical training and start training and start preseason. And then we can start like technical play and tactics and stuff like that. But if they have trained a lot and do good on like the tests we have to do in the start of preseason, like running tests and stuff like that, um, uh, then I know that they are physically capable to handle the type of football I want to play. And that makes it much, makes it much easier for me as a coach. Yeah. And if you kind of go back to the the whole like mental thing, mm. I always obviously try to like as I said earlier, but but when you meet them, because you know it's obviously your local team, so when you go to the pitch with, with your your mates and stuff, you kind of just see them around because they're also there, right? Well, yeah, but luckily for me, uh, most of my players live in like another area so the club has like two primary schools that are connected to the club oh okay and i went to one of them and most of my players went to the other one okay so they mostly play on the other pitch but every time i like go to my own trainings uh i can see them because some of them are at the academy so yeah i can still meet them at the academy if i want to yeah and, and in those situations those are the, i mean in those situations like when i meet them when I'm just going to the pitch randomly, like going for for a hike or something, mm-hmm. I always then even try to like you know impress you. No, like I always try to. I was I try to, even then trying to like show them. Yeah. You who, know who's who's a leader. No, no, not even that, but like, like, the mentor thing. Yeah. Okay. I always try to like be their friend as, to like spread that you know mm-hmm. that you know I'm not just playing this dude. I'm all I'm this all the time yeah and that's really important so that they're not just you know so that you know, they're not just some dude in training and then when they, they get home they just become a complete piece of shit you know what i mean yeah that it's consistent yeah you know that's you have to like front an example of yeah the person you find that you want them to be the pitch yeah uh you have to show that you're not trying to like just develop them as footballers you have to try to make them the best of person as they can be as well yeah, because exactly. you have, when you're coached at that age, you are like a role model, and you are like, you have to show them that the fo- that football is like should be a second home to them, and you have to understand that a lot of players can get very affectionate of you, and like you can be end up being like a big role model for them at that age because when their parents maybe like isn't that involved in football and stuff like that. And you are end up like being there instead of the parents. You have to understand that you can end up be playing an important life important part of the life. Exactly. So you have to like you have to humble yourself and understand that the role you have can be very important to the persons you are a coach for. And and that could kinda of like that's kind of what I'm thinking when I'm kind of reflecting on this mm-hmm. whole thing, that it almost doesn't matter how good they become. 
the most important thing is like what they take home after training and what they like take and bring with them for the rest of their life for uh, well to be honest most of the players that we coach probably all of them won't ever be like professional footballer but our job is to make the best of each one mm. but also it is a part of their upbringing and we have to like treat them away so that they can become the best person they can possibly be as well so we have to like teach them how to act when they're with different people and we have some sort of the same role as their teacher at school and we have to show them how to act how to act to a person of power as we are how to treat his team and teammates and generally how to be a good person and we a lot of a lot of people only do like football uh, as like a hobby yeah so you have to understand that most likely you are the person outside of their home and their school that probably has the most most influence on them except for like social media and stuff like that so you have to understand that you have to teach them how to cope with for example stress and how to cope with how to develop in something because that is what they have to need later in life because if they're chill at school chill at home and the only stress they like me is at football pitch you are the one that has to teach them how to deal with it mm. because that's the only stress factor so you have to teach them that yeah, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of aspect of the whole thing. Yeah. Because like being a youth coach is it's not harder than being a professional coach. But like the per- the people you have to deal with, the players you have to deal with, and the job you have to do with them is more complex mm-hmm. because there's different aspects of it. When you're a professional coach, you just have to get the best results you can when you have, like, paid players and stuff like that. But when you have youth players, they pay you to make them the best players they can be. And also, you have, like, this community responsibility as well with making them the best persons they can be as well. So the aspects of it makes being youth coach a bit more complex wait pay you do you get paid for this yeah what i believe so wait, i haven't what? got paid yet but <laughs> i was promised some pay oh you, you promised pay yeah but like oh. the thing is that mostly you get paid for this because you put hours into this oh i i, I don't get paid squat <laughs> you got scammed bro uh, oh it's about the learning experience not about the pay. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I should I, I should probably look into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, that, that, that's, that's not why I became a coach, though. I didn't no, no. do this because of money. For example, obviously, if, I'm if, not getting paid. I don't know. I'm not sure if I get paid, but if I get paid, it's not nearly the comp- compensation for what you put into it. No, it's not. So you have to like be willing to put hours and work into your coaching job. Yeah, you have to also also enjoy it. it yeah, you it have to enjoy that. it. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I would never. 
be there like two hours a week. It just, you know, staying there. And I mean, I was there yesterday. Mm. I was there freezing my ass off, you know, it, yeah, because yeah. it was like minus five or something, right? I was literally like shaking. And I was like, I would never do that unless I wanted to. Like, yeah. I had that passion to do that. Like, showing up, showing up in like pouring rain on a Tuesday afternoon just to coach a lot of like a group of 13 year olds mm. you have to be pretty fucked in the head to do that <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> like me and you yeah okay. but like you that have to have like funny. you have to be a little bit thick to okay. do that or but passionate that, passionate so we call it. you have to be passionate yeah you have to both be passionate and oh, shit. we have to get in class in like 10 minutes yeah okay yeah, we can just finish up. Yeah, passion. You have to be passionate. Yeah. You have to be passionate because if you're not passionate, your players will like see through you and see that, and also feed off their energy. Yeah, yeah. Because if your players see that you don't like to be there, they won't like you and see like, oh, he doesn't care about us. So why should we care about him? Exactly. And then it's all fucked. Mm. And this was. Good build. This song. Yeah, go on. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, when you're passionate, you have to show that you care. And this was the end of part one of yeah. the intellectual experience. Yeah. Come back for part two. Yeah, at least, at least, uh, yeah, we have, we, have, we have to make class. Yeah. Yeah. We can make uh, part two. Yeah, but uh, sure. This was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for uh, being here.